0: is baseball tonight the podcast
1: this is the baseball tonight podcast for friday june 2nd 2023 and today will be better than yesterday i'm buster only i'm working from my home in montana sarah abbott is working from near bristol sarah how are you doing today
2: i'm doing great it's definitely an emotional day but any day to honor sarah langs is a great day
1: yeah you're 100 right Today is Lou Gehrig Day in baseball, but uh, as you'll hear going forward, it really does feel like Sarah Lang's day. We'll be hearing from her. Uh, we'll be hearing an OTL piece and outside the lines piece that we've done on Sarah. Carl Ravich will join us. Uh, a lot of content today, and what should be a great show. All right, let's start out with uh, notes from games on Thursday. The American League Central is up for grabs the Cleveland Guardians facing the Twins, and the Twins were down by a couple of runs in the bottom of the eighth inning, and then this happened.
3: And the 1-1 pitch, a fly ball, center field, deep, Miles Straw drifting back, he'll turn, that ball is gone! Royce
1: Lewis ties the game! A 2-1 homer to the berm in center, and Lewis ties it up, 6-6 at target field. And then... The Twins would walk it off
3: once again. The one-two pitch, a fly ball, right center field. This should do it. Over to his right goes Brennan. He'll make the catch. Jeffers tags. He heads home, and Ryan Jeffers will score, and the Twins win. The Twins walk off the Guardians, seven to six, on a Willie Castro sack fly to right.
1: That sound from the Treasure Island Baseball Network. The Diamondbacks face the Rockies. Arizona having a great season. They were down by a run in the bottom of the ninth inning. Corbin Carroll at the plate.
4: Carroll's ready. Johnson ready. The
1: pitch. Line drive. Base hit. And that's going to win it. In is Marino. funneled up by Marte. Carroll delivers a two-run single. And the
0: Diamondbacks walk it off. They beat the Rockies 5-4 to four and sweep the four-game series. They've won five straight. Wow. What a game this turned out to be.
1: That sound from Arizona Sports, 98.7 FM. Before Thursday's game, the Rockies reinstated outfielder Charlie Blackman, and they placed outfielder Chris Bryant on the injured lists. The Blue Jays faced the Brewers on Thursday. Matt Chapman went deep in the bottom of the first inning.
0: One, two, hit in the air out to deep right field. That ball starting to travel at the wall, and goal! Chapman sinks it into the second deck.
1: That sound from Sportsnet 590, the fan. That was all that Kevin Gossman needed. He was excellent again. He's making a great case to vie with Shane McClanahan for the right to start for the American League in the All Star game. Uh, U.S. bankruptcy judge ruled in favor of Major League Baseball and four of its teams in Houston on Thursday, forcing Diamond Sports Group, which runs broadcasts under the name Bally Sports, to fully pay the contracts in question. This does feel like it's all leading to Major League Baseball, taking over uh, the broadcast, the broadcasting rights for a whole bunch of teams in the big leagues. The St. Louis Cardinals have summoned outfielder Jordan Walker back to the big leagues. You remember he started the year in the major leagues. He was sent down to the minor leagues. Uh, and I read this on Bernie Miklas's post this morning in the last 15 games in the minor leagues. Walker uh, is batting 312 with a 403 on base percentage after making some changes with his swing. The Astros face the Angels on Thursday, and Alex Bregman gave them a lead in the bottom of the fifth.
3: And Bregman pulls it,
1: and
0: under the glove of Urshel in the left field. Diaz scores. Altuve scores. Alvarez stops at second. Astros lead it 4-2. to That's sound
1: from KBME 790 AM. Gary Sanchez has taken over a catcher for the Padres, and he helped San Diego blow out the Marlins on Thursday, going deep again. New York and now finishing in Miami. Here's a drive to deep left field off the bat of Sanchez. Back of the wall, it's gone. Gary Sanchez has homered again. The Mets played the Phillies in Citi Field. New York was trailing 2-1, to one, bottom of the fourth inning, and then this happened. Kind swings, hits a high fly ball, deep
0: left field to the left field side and out of here. He has done it again against Philadelphia. Two-run homer to give the Mets
1: the lead in the bottom of the fourth inning. That sound from WCBS, that was enough for Max Scherzer to win, but he wasn't happy about something that happened between innings with his warm-up pitches. Here's Max Scherzer explaining all that.
0: You know, you, you're supposed to get eight warm-up pitches and I had seven and I asked for can I get the eighth pitch, you know, can I do my normal routine warm-up and he's telling me it's a clock, it's a clock and you know, that's what's so frustrating is that look, I'm doing my normal routine, why why do we need to step through the game and have the umpires, you know, change, change routines when it's not my fault of what's going on here, you know, like, that, that's, you know, I'm, you know, I'm talking to Trip and he, you know, he's sitting there saying, like, it's not, I, I can't do anything about it because if I let you throw the pitch, then, you know, MLB gets mad at him. And so this goes back to, you know, why do we need a pitch clock for that situation? You know, I, I, if I throw one more pitch, what, I'm one second slower? Like, why can't the umpire have discretion in that situation to allow a pitcher to throw his eight normal warm-up pitches? Why do we have to be so anal about this to have the clock up everybody's face, shoving everybody's face, and try to stop out every little single second that's going through the game?
1: And you know who's going to be at City Field tonight? Our friend Sarah Langs, her boyfriend Matt Williams, is going to be throwing out the first pitch. Sarah, what else you got?
2: All right, Buster. Last night was the first game of the NBA Finals, and Low Post and Hoop Collective got you covered. They recorded right after the game discussing the mismatches that surfaced between the Nuggets' offense and the Heat's defense, the modest performance of Jimmy Butler, and how the Heat can rebound in Game 2. So be sure to check that out wherever you are listening to this podcast and on YouTube.
0: Nine, six. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs.
1: Sarah Langs, reporter producer for MLB.com. Sarah, uh, you're gonna be honored at City Field. It feels like every time I check social media, there's you're doing an interview, you're doing something else. Tell me uh, again, you know, we knew going into this week that there was gonna be a lot of stuff around you. What's this been like?
5: Oh my gosh, I mean as I said on uh, Tuesday, I knew it would be overwhelming. It has been, but I am so grateful that people look to me and that I'm able to help spread awareness. And, you know, it's the third Lou geary Day. And I think that the day has really grown each year. And it seems to have grown exponentially this year. And I'm not going to say that's because of me, but if people are more aware of the day and more eager to do something, and that has anything to do with me, then I'm grateful for that.
1: All right, so what's going to happen City Field today? And I'm assuming that I didn't ask you that your parents are going to be there.
5: Yes, so it'll be my parents, my boyfriend, Matt Williams, who everybody will, uh, everybody who doesn't know him already, will get to meet in the E60 piece. And uh, one of my best friends, Lana Allman, who is sitting across from me now as I record this, also in her baseball is the best show, uh, But really, really excited for them. As we record, Matt is on the plane from Denver and <laughs> coming back after Game 1 of the NBA Finals so that he can throw out the first pitch. I'm very, very excited for it.
1: Well, uh, what's it going to be like like for you to be on the field honored, uh, you know, by the team that you rooted for growing up as a kid?
5: Yeah, you know, I was talking to uh, Laura Albanese, who works for Newsday yesterday, and I was saying how, you know, the thrill of being on the field. I'm so grateful that it isn't the same anymore for me because I've been lucky enough to be on the field so many times in so many ballparks. Thanks to my job, and while I'm grateful every time, it's not a new experience, but certainly being the center of attention there will be a very stressful moment. But, you know, as we've discussed so many times, I grew up running for the Mets, and I have so many connections to this team and actually to the ALS awareness that they've done in the past. They had uh, benefit nights for Project ALS. Uh, when I was in middle school, I had a friend who was a mother, uh, was on the board or worked with the group there. And I went to two of those games in the Pepsi picnic area way back when. I was looking on my phone yesterday. And on yesterday's date in 2007, my dad and I, uh in the Moment went to a mets Steinbacks game and amongst the photos I took at that game was the fact that on the scoreboard it was Project A last night to believe. So there's just so many connections there and I'm sure it'll be overwhelming. I think my body has gotten really good. It's just going numb to all of this and letting me enjoy it and not even really process it until days and weeks and months, years later. So uh, I think that's the best possible scenario, honestly, because we know I'm a crier and uh, I don't want to ruin my makeup today.
1: (laughs) Well, good luck with that. And good <laughs> luck, Matt, throwing out the first pitch. Telling, yeah. Can you give him some advice for me? Okay. I thrown out a few a first pitch a few times. He's got to yeah. make a point to warm up, go okay. down in the runway, go to the bowl, but get somebody to warm up with him. Okay. Because if you go out there, the adrenaline is going to overcome you. I mean, we've seen so many celebrities throw balls into the dugout against the back screen, bounce it in front of – so Matt's got to warm up for sure. All right, let's play the numbers game.
5: Number three. Number three is one. So as I was telling you before we were recording, I'm all in on the Diamondbacks right now. I wish I'd been bold enough to pick them for a wild card. The NL looked a lot more crowded entering the year than it has been, but they're not currently, if the season ended today, sneaking in. They are tied with the Dodgers, not just atop the NL West. They're tied for the best record in the NL. They've been so much fun to watch. They're 11 games over 500 So this is the fifth season where they've been at least tied for the best record in the National League at any point, more than 50 games into the season, along with 2007, 02, 01, and 99. The only year where they finished with that best record in the NL was back in 07. But if you have not watched the Dimebacks game, this is my PSA. If you got MLB TV, extra innings, whatever. Watch a game. This is a really fun team.
2: Number two.
5: Number two is 40. So we have the Yankees and the Dodgers on Sunday baseball this week. going to be a really fun matchup. And Mookie Betts on Wednesday, hit his 40th career leadoff home run. That tied Charlie Blackman for ninth most of all time. Mookie keeps moving up this list. And then he is another home run in the eighth inning. So he now has 21 career multi-homer games out of the leadoff spot. That is two more than anyone else in baseball history. Number one. Number one is, hmm, we'll go with 12. So I have a bunch to choose from here because I'm staring at a list of what Aaron Judge has done since he came back from the injured list on May 9th. So the 12th is for his home runs. He has 12 home runs in that span, two more than anyone else in the majors. He has a one, three, five, six OBS, which leads all qualified players in that span. And he has a uh, 25 RBI which is most in the majors, ahead of J.D. Martinez with 24. And I just realized that yesterday when I tweeted out, I said J.D. at 25. So good times, everyone. But Aaron Dodge has been absolutely outstanding. This is what he does. And, you know, we were talking about him yesterday as we are preparing for Sunday baseball. I think he might be better this year than he was last year one thing that absolutely blew me away, only five players who are qualified last year and are qualified this year have a larger decrease in ground ball rate than Aaron Judge has. Yeah. But he was hitting the ball in the air plenty. Last year, he had 62 a month. And he came out and said, wait, let me hit the ball in the air more. I mean, that is terrifying for pitchers. An absolute outstanding.
1: By the way, one of the other people who's improved the rate of fly balls this year is a superstar on the other side of the field on Sunday night. That's Freddie Freeman, who we might be seeing the best Freddie Freeman we've ever seen. So Sunday night's going to be a lot of fun. Speaking of long home runs, we got this bleacher tweet from Kenneth uh, Rosendo, who asked uh, a question. I don't know why he sent it to me. Uh, he tagged you on, on it. Uh, Because I don't know the answer. He asked the question, has there ever been a pitcher to give up multiple 470-foot home runs in the same outing before Lance Lynn during the regular season? And he writes, yes, I text Sarah, but I put Buster first for what it's worth. It's worth nothing. Sarah, what's the
5: answer? (laughs) Uh, So I have bad news for him, which is that those two home runs were not both 470 feet. Every now and then there's an issue with an initial statcast reading that happened to happen twice in that game on Otani and uh, Trout's home runs. They're both still very long home runs, by the way. 4.59 for Otani, 4.61 for Trout. Those are not to be you know, laughed at or anything that is amazing to be able to do that, uh, but he did not do that. So I'm glad for Lance Lynn that we did not have to look this up for him because he did not actually do that.
1: All right. And I know there's a part of you that's relieved for Lance Lynn because you like good stuff to happen to people. You know, we established that uh in our conversation when we were doing the interviews for the for the outside of the line space. All right, Sarah. Thanks for doing this. Uh good luck
2: tonight.
5: Thank you, Buster. Thanks for having me.
2: Here's a special Outside the Lines piece about Sarah Langs' journey with ALS, featuring Buster, the voices of her parents, Charlie and Lizanne, Bruce Bochy, Alex Cora, and her boyfriend, Matt Williams. Baseball is the best, but so is Sarah Langs.
1: January 28th, New York City. The 98th New York Writers' Dinner in Manhattan, a night when the best in baseball are honored. Cy Young Award winner, Justin Verlander. Thank you to the Baseball Writers' Association for having me at this wonderful event. Aaron Judge for MVP.
0: This has been an incredible honor to be recognized for these awards tonight.
1: Sharing the same stage is a lesser known but far more inspirational individual, 29-year-old researcher, Sarah Langs.
5: I want to thank all of the players, managers, broadcasters, everyone who is part of this baseball world for embracing me and for doing all of these things that make us love baseball so much. So, thank you everybody so, so much. Baseball is who I am and getting to work on it is what I do. So I want to continue being me.
1: How would you describe the first moment when you began to fall in love with baseball?
5: Oh my gosh, I mean, I don't know if I can pick one moment. I just have so many incredible family memories.
1: She grew up in Manhattan the only child of Charles and Lee Zahn, in a family that devoured baseball daily. From late March to early November, a baseball game was always on in our house.
5: We would be sitting there watching the Met game, probably my uh, dad and I sitting eating dinner on the floor, my mom sitting on the couch, and all of us just sitting there watching the game.
1: There was no such thing as too much baseball. If Sarah wasn't screaming in her living room, she was screaming at the ballparks, like the time she became a fixture at Giant Spring Training in Arizona.
5: We would sit in seats that weren't ours, that were just right, like, behind the plate. And, um, you know, Sarah would scream to the players. She knew all their names.
0: I hear this big booming voice yelling for uh, the players, for our players. I mean, she was passionate.
5: I can't believe that me being way too loud cheering at a spring training game, a spring training game, led to my knowing a Hall of Fame manager. She became part of the sounds of spring training. Every spring, uh, you know, you hear the crack of the bat, the vendor, the fans, and then we'd hear Sarah's voice.
1: With baseball firmly rooted in her DNA, Sarah landed her dream job in 2015 as a researcher at ESPN for Baseball Tonight.
3: With more about Carpenter and his impact, let's go to Baseball Tonight researcher, Sarah Lang. Sarah, how impactful is this?
5: He's incredibly impactful. Entering the day, he had three and a half wins against her, repl- above replacement. That's the most of any Cardinals player this season. He's their leader
3: in- run She knows
4: baseball. Armor. She understand what I needed, what you needed. With her, the connection was there right away. It was right there, right away and the trust and the fact that you knew
1: that using that information, she was gonna make you look good on TV. Sarah continued perfecting her craft. And then in 2016, just as the World Series was about to begin, she met a newly hired researcher named Matt Williams. They've been together ever since. What's she like on a day when there's no baseball games? Oh my gosh, the all seasons are
3: brutal. I always tell her she needs a hobby and she does not have one.
1: By 2019, Sarah became a writer and producer for MLB.com and a regular contributor to MLB Network.
5: They're both great players. I'm not trying to hate on Mookie Betts. These are both outstanding players. I want to be crystal clear with that.
1: Then, on July 20th, 2021, she provided analysis as part of the first all-female broadcast in MLB history.
5: The next highest average fastball velocity on this team is like 93.2 miles an hour for Michael Waka among their current starters, so he's absolutely in his own class.
1: But as Sarah's career soared through the 2019 season, she began to feel something was wrong.
5: I remember running into you in the bowels of Yankee Stadium, and you noticed I was limping, you asked what was wrong, and I just figured I had sprained my ankle or done something, but nothing hurt. I definitely commented to her, you know, you're limping, and I I know, you know, it's my ankle, it's from running. I just always had a very uh, bad feeling about it from the very beginning. There were x-rays and examination. She very quickly referred me to a neurologist. So I knew at that point something was wrong.
1: Sarah met with several doctors over a period of months in search of answers. Then in late summer 2021, she would learn the truth from her neurologist. Sarah was diagnosed with ALS. It
5: was upsetting there were tears, but I can't express how much of a relief it was to have an answer.
3: That moment, you know, hissed like a ton of bricks, but he was like, I'll give you guys a moment, tears shed.
4: She
1: had called us. She was speaking to my wife and I remember uh, not hearing. It wasn't the conversation was not on speakerphone, but um, I just um, remember the moment, uh, pardon me, uh, uh, where my wife's uh, eyes closed Uh, and the way your eyes close when you get terrible news. It's the
0: moment uh,
3: I remember. But then the next course of action for both of us is just, okay, what, what can we do?
5: How do we make sure I'm still doing what I want to do? How do we make sure he's still able to do what he wants to do, and that we're able to live our lives the way we want to?
1: Known as Lou Gehrig's disease, named for the immortal Yankees first baseman, ALS is a rare, mostly non-genetic disease resulting in the progressive loss of motor neurons that control voluntary muscles about 60% of people with the disease are male between the ages of 55 to 75 there is no known cause and no cure in the context of your diagnosis what was important to you about continuing to work
5: what else am i going to do i mean why i was drawn to baseball the constancy 162 games plus the postseason baseball is there the same way when i was an only child and i was either with my parents or my friends or watching baseball
1: sarah continued working all the while wrestling with the decision of whether to publicly reveal her condition
5: so good to see you thank you for having me pk
1: In the year after she was diagnosed, in October 2022, as her voice began weakening, she finally decided it was time.
5: I think I was tired of... I felt like I was hiding something and it wasn't even purposeful. Um, But it was also incredibly emotional. Each time I shared this with someone, I wanted to show them that someone with ALS can still work the postseason and do all of these things. That timing was very purposeful.
4: What do you remember about at, right after
6: you pushed send?
5: Just the most overwhelming moments of my life.
3: Hey, Sarah. Hey, Sarah, Buster Posey here. We are all rooting for you, Sarah, on the screen here at City Field. Our teammate Sarah Langs divulged to the baseball community and those that follow her on Twitter that she is suffering with ALS. We love Sarah and we we wish her the best for sure.
1: Then on January 28th, Sarah was here alongside the biggest names in the sport to share her mission.
5: In addition to making sure everybody loves baseball, To make sure that we tell people in our everyday lives how much we love and appreciate them, not just because something has gone wrong. I knew for a while that I wanted to do something to raise money and awareness. I'm lying in bed one night and I realized fist bumps, that's so easy. It's a sports thing. You see them on the field all the time. That's a really good one. And that's how it came about. ALS.
1: The fist bump I challenge for ALS was born.
5: I want to give a shout out to Dan Orlovsky oh. because uh, he challenged me to do the ALS fist bump on ESPN today. And I just want to tell him thank you because he, uh, the young lady I know got ALS. A couple people tweeted me and texted me. I got texts from one of uh, three of my really good friends from college, and in all caps, he goes, Charles Berkeley just mentioned you, Sarah. Like, what is going on? I mean, I couldn't believe that, and I'm so, so grateful.
1: With every day that passes, Sarah Lang's life is changing, and not always by her choosing. But the one constant she has decided Not a day will pass without the game she loves.
5: The difference between myself and people who are eager to retire because of a terminal diagnosis is that my work is my passion. Baseball is who I am, and getting to work on it is what I do. So uh, I want to continue being me.
1: Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, moxydectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. Nexgard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call one eight hundred DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice
0: package. All aboard! It's the Revi Train with Carl ravage. Baseball tonight. The Robbie Train,
1: Carl Ravitch, the play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. And this weekend, Sunday Night
3: Baseball will be in Los Angeles. Robbie, how are you? I'm doing well, Buster. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing really well. It's a significant day, you know, for people that we love. The, the Sarah stuff that you guys have done and, and your advocacy for, for her has been incredible. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a bittersweet kind of day because. Sarah is being honored at City Field, and there's a lot of celebrating, and that's how she wants it. And uh, yet, as a researcher and somebody who's rooted in in numbers, you know, we unfortunately all know currently that the outcome of this uh, and the chances of survival are zero. So it's uh, it's it's bittersweet. It really is.
1: I was thinking as I was getting ready to talk to you today that, you know, this is known as Lou Gehrig Day, but it really does feel like it's Sarah Lang's day today. You know, this yeah. year in 2023, uh, you know, with all the, you know, the, the Mets as you say are doing something for the Yankees are doing something for, and then all teams, you know, through your work, the broadcast booths, we're going to see that uh, play out. If you can talk about that a little bit.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, just, a, just a quick kind of background. Um, on what we are calling a Langstar, you know, ALS, and of course, Sarah's last name, so a Langstar. During the pandemic, uh, here in Connecticut, there's this tiny little town called Chester, Connecticut. It is beautiful. It's bucolic. It's everything, you you know, you think of a New England town, small, very quaint. Uh, It's like Main Street at Disney World where you drive down it. Middle of the pandemic, you drive down the street of Chester, and you realize, like, there are these massive, beautiful, big illuminated stars on every building. And every home leading into the community has got a star on it that's lit up. So you plug them in and you hang them on a wall, you put them in your house, you put them uh, on your house. And you're like, what, like, what is this? Where did this come from? And look, in in the darkest days of the pandemic, when everything was shut down, you, you took that road and you were like lifted like, my gosh, this is beautiful. You know, there's hope here. So I, I finally, a couple years later, you know, after sarah had been diagnosed went back to chester and saw those stars again and i said you know how, how do we marry the star with what sarah's sarah's dealing with and i went to christopher owens who's known in the state as the star man because he what he did in chester and i said what if we took the star the small star and somehow we used that as a symbol for hope as a way to raise awareness, as a a way to raise critical funds. Can we use your star, rebrand it, rename it a Lang Star, and sell them for $50 so people will be able to have them at their home, light them up? And I think as you know, and I know, and everybody else, the key to this whole thing is to get people to talk about it. ALS is a little different than heart disease and cancer and other things. People don't talk about it. And I've discovered, Buster, the more that we talk about it, the more people you find out have been directly impacted by it. I don't know why it's not talked about, but I don't know why it's just not talked about. But every time I bring it up, oh, yeah, my mom, my uncle, my sister, my dad, my whatever, they all seem to have somebody connected to it. So I said to Christopher, can we create a Langstar? And lo and behold, Between what Christopher Owens has done, what April Brown at Major League Baseball has done, what Project ALS has done, there's this unprecedented grassroots effort. This is one guy who has opened up a production facility in Granby, Connecticut, and he's hand-making these stars. Means you have the wood, you wrap the lights, you get the packaging, and you ship them out. Made 10,000 of these things so far. You wow. know, and I'm hoping we have a million of them. And it all it all came from my, my dream after he said, sure, let's go for it. And April Brown at Major League Baseball said, yes, we'll get behind it. And, you know, tonight we'll talk about what that's going to mean on Sunday night. But as people that fly all over the country, you know, my dream one day is to look down on the United States of America and see Lang stars all over the place. That, that's, that's my dream. And the more those stars are seen in different communities, the more people are talking about it, the more funds will be raised for it. And hopefully someday in the very near future, we'll have a way to prevent people from dying from Lou Gehrig disease and ALS. How do
1: people find out more about Langstars, Carl?
3: So they're going to find out a lot during the baseball games tonight. They're going to find out from their broadcast tonight. They're going to find out most importantly, perhaps in the stadiums tonight on the large video boards will be the website to go to. And it's stars4sarah with an H.org. So it's stars4sarah with an H at the end of sarah.org. It's all one word. For $50, you get this beautiful keepsake. <laughs> you can connect them. I've seen people in Chester Buster who have 10 of them. And you can literally almost like Christmas tree lights, connect them and light up your yard. And they're just beautiful to look at. And in a lot of ways, as you know, they remind me of Sarah. They're small, they're radiant, they promote hope. Um, There's just something about the star. When you look at it, you, you feel good. And that I think is exactly how Sarah makes everybody feel.
1: I got stuff to ask you about the Dodgers and the Yankees, but first, uh, You know, as I say, it feels like it's Sarah Lang's day. Uh, You and I have known her, uh, you know, for a long time. Tell me what you've seen in her during this time, Uh, especially now when she's getting so much attention. She said on the podcast earlier in the
3: week that she's sick of herself. (laughs) Yeah. Look, attention is not something Sarah, uh, you know, is looking for ever. And I think in a lot of ways, that that's the type of person that I'm attracted to. I, I like those that are kind of grinders who don't need the spotlight. Just kind of want to get there, punch the clock, do their, uh, be great at it. Don't look for accolades or recognition, and do it all again the next day. And and that part of her personality radiates so much with me. So, yeah, this is sort of like being attacked by a bunch of bumblebees. Like, I, I don't want bees around me. I, I don't want us attention. <laughs> but to her credit, she does recognize, you know, the platform that she has and how valuable her voice is. Um, and that voice is is critical. You know, baseball is her life. And to be able to live in it day to day. I called her the other day because uh, I wanted to, I, I, I wanted to find out how she was doing with all the attention. So I called her, I believe it was on a Wednesday, knowing what was coming Friday. And I think it was around one o'clock. And I, I must not have remembered what day it was. And I said, so before the game start, or maybe it was even, it was th- Thursday or Tuesday. It was, But it was six o'clock. And I called and I said, hey, before the game start, because we know when the game start at seven, forget it. You know, she's gone. She's, she's locked into every game. I said, before the game start, and she said, well, the Marlins are playing and Sandy is pitching. And I said, well, of course you knew that. I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't follow the Marlins and she was already all over Sandy Alcantara and the Marlins. So, you know, that's, that's the way that she is and she wouldn't have it any other way. And I know when I brought this story up, Buster, I brought it up to Willie Geist, a friend of ours. I said, Hey, Willie, I got a great story for you. I I really love to see if You guys would cover this on Sunday today um and then he called me and he said yeah we'd love to do that and then the producer of the show one of the producers reached out to me um and sent an email and i said i'll forward this to sarah thank you so much uh and it was it was you know we we, we know about sarah uh we have done a lot of stories on people struggling with als we love females in sports and i forwarded that to sarah so uh, this isn't a quiz, but what do, what do you think Sarah said to that request? And it's a hard one, and I don't want to put you on the spot. So in any event, Sarah says, of course, I will do it. But I really was, I was kind of concerned about the language where they said struggling with ALS, like literally bothered by that term, because Sarah doesn't look at what she's doing right now as, as struggling with ALS. She's living with it. She's thriving with it. She's working. So and I made that clear to the producer, and the producer was was completely understanding, respectful, under you know, got got the whole concept. So, but that's where Sarah is. You know, she's she's fighting this. I heard your your conversation, and I know on the E60 piece, the relief that she got when she was diagnosed seems to strike everybody as odd. But as a researcher, she needs answers, hard answers. Now we know the answer, and now we can figure out how we're going to deal with this, as opposed to this, what is wrong with me, uh, constant question in her head. So that, uh, you know, that that's the, that's the beauty of Sarah. She hasn't changed. She's got a great sense of humor. She still laughs at herself. Want another quick story? We go up to uh, Tim Kirkshen's Hall of Fame induction weekend. And, you know, the Baseball Tonight crew goes up there and we take a van up there, a, a large van. So there's probably, I don't know, 12 of us. And I take Sarah out to the bus before everybody else gets on the bus and she's sitting on the bus and I'm sitting on the bus. And all of a sudden I start to, I say, my God, I, you know, there's like a bug, there's a bee in my shirt. So I had to rip my shirt off on the bus in front of Sarah. Like, this is like, this is really weird. I'm sitting here without a shirt on because there's a bee trying to attack me and I look over at her like sorry this is uncomfortable and she is doubled over in laughter like this is the silliest thing that I've I've ever seen so she she and I have experienced a few moments together and and she's you know she's great about being able to laugh at things etc. Et
1: yeah I've uh and you and I have had the same experience I mean of course you you're a, a speechless when you hear the news from her and then you realize right away that you need to match her energy you know, you yeah. can't get you just need to match what her mindset is. And that's the way it's felt for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh and every day is like that. You know, and, and we'll be working Sunday night baseball and, and that'll be like that as well. All right. Yeah. But with that, with that in mind, uh, let's talk about this weekend's game. I, I tell you what, talking to Yankee people, uh, they are absolute they are privately, they're really excited about what they're building right now. Like yes. they really love the direction of this team. When we get you Carlos Stanton back this weekend and Josh Donaldson back and Tommy Canely back. What are you seeing in this uh, matchup this weekend?
3: Yeah, I, look, I, I understand their optimism, you know, they've, they, and they haven't had Radon throw a pitch. So there's a lot of reasons for them to feel good about, about where they're at. The fact that they've been, what are they, 10 games over now? Uh, um, and they've had some hiccups. I mean, let's, let's be honest. There, there've been a lot of hiccups with them with, with the Aaron Hicks situation, with uh, you know, with the young shortstop situation, with the bullpen occasionally being banged up, and and who's going to be the closer, and on all these little things, and at the same time, the Rays, you know, we're playing on another planet, and now they're, you know, the Rays are. I wouldn't say they're leveling off. I mean, they've been the best team in the league, uh, but the Yankees recognize in a series if we're healthy. It doesn't matter if they win 111 games in a series. We, we can compete. There's just there's a lot of good and the Isaiah Connor kind of for Leffa thing is kind of to this point. It's now it's kind of worked itself out. So it seems like they've worked a lot of the things out that were causing problems. And I think we all know too the way this season goes and is going. There's going to be a lot more hiccups. People are going to get hurt. I mean, injuries are a big part of this year. And guys going on the IL when you when you kind of don't expect it. But they're getting healthy right now. They're playing good baseball. And what a what a great showdown. You know, the iconic franchises. The Dodgers are playing really well. It should be a great game uh, against another one of those young Dodger pitchers who's throwing flames. So th- they should feel really good about themselves. I, I'm encouraged. I, I If I were a Yankee fan, I'd love where the Yankees are right now.
1: Yeah, and Bobby Miller, you mentioned him starting for the Dodgers. He was the 29th pick in the first round out of Louisville uh they you know the Dodgers when they took him I know from talking with folks within that organization they loved his arm they felt like he had stuff to work on they initially told him look we don't want you to throw your curveball and he went right back and said how come come you don't want me to throw my curveball and they're like because we want you to build a foundation with your fastball and now he has this amazing fastball average velocity first two starts in the big leagues 99.1 right. miles per hour I love the stories from the Dodgers people about how emotional he is on the mound. Yep. You know, the phrase that was said to me yesterday was fire breathing. It should be fun because, you know, he's going to be all fired up. And, and let's face it, uh, as great as the Yankees lineup can be in a four o'clock start in LA,
3: Bobby Miller could put on a show. So, <laughs> And the two shows he's put on have been pretty damn impressive. And, and look, the Atlanta Braves are as good a team as there is in baseball and he shut them down. So, he goes to the mound. I mean, to your point, his development. And he came from a terrific program with Dan McDonald at Louisville. He's a, he's a Cubs, you know, Bulls, Bears guy growing up. He and Reed Detmers went in the same draft, uh, in the same first round. Detmers was was picked earlier. Uh, but I saw after his last start, you know, the reporters were asking him, you know, wow, you, you, you had one on the road. Now you do it here at Dodger Stadium. Are you surprised? And you could almost see the thought bubble. Like, uh, No. Uh, no. I'm not surprised. Like uh, uh, <laughs> this, this, is what I've been training to do, and and I'm damn good at it. And and I used to kind of rely on a two seamer, and you know what? Now I really love my four seamer, so I'm going to throw that a lot. And he's he talks about having some pitches that he's working on. So, you know, when we go to Dodger Stadium as broadcasters, we we go up to like the fifth level. I, I wonder what if have we ever gone down at Dodger Stadium like. Beneath the ground, is that where they produce all of these baseball players that don't seem to be <laughs> bothered being 21 or 22? Like all the rookies of the year, they've what happens underneath Dodger Stadium to these kids that they bring in and somehow they they polish them up and they're they're mature and grizzled. And look, Dave Roberts said, I'm not sure Sunday Night Baseball against the Yankees is the best is the best uh, forum and platform for a young kid. There's a part of me that thinks this is exactly what Dave Roberts and the Dodgers want to see. How is he going to handle a June start against the Yankees on a Sunday night when we're starting to think down towards October, you know, in a national broadcast and against a a Yankee team or something like that. I have a feeling as much as they're like, "Mm, may not be let's the kids ready. Let's see what he does.
1: It's a great test, and it's a great, especially when you're the Dodgers. And look, Clayton Kershaw, you know, he's in the rotation, he starts game one of the series tonight. Who knows with his injury history if he's going to yeah. be okay? You know, who knows with to get anything out of Walker Bueller by the end of the year, Dustin May. So they're going to need some young guys to step up and support uh, that offense. A couple quick hitters. If you give me 45 seconds on each of these, Chris Sale goes down with shoulder soreness yesterday. Carl, I thought it was the most predictable thing ever. You and I talked about it. At night he came out throwing 99 miles per hour. His his delivery was max effort. My shoulder yeah. hurt watching him
3: do that. And here we are. I watched that game last night, and I watched uh, I watched the inning in which he he was taken out of the game. So he he started throwing, you know, in the first couple of innings, and he struck out a whole bunch of guys in the first two innings. And then all of a sudden the velocity went from about 95 to 90. Uh, and Alex Cora and the trainer came out. And they talked to him and he was talking into his glove and he stayed on the mound. And then Cora and the trainer went back and it was either his very next pitch or the one after was 96. So you're like, okay. And Kevin Euclid was doing the game with Tim Wakefield and they kind of looked at it and they said, you know, maybe it's his bottom half. Because he he then threw another pitch and it was just awkward. They they went back and looked at video and it, it was just like it wasn't connected. It was disjointed. Corey the trainer come out sale goes off the mound and, and their speculation was maybe it was the lower half and of course now it's the shoulder It's a huge problem. the couple of starts when he pitched he was great Paxton was great but look they they're they're like a game of uh, you know of, of Plinko where where it's just kind of going down you're wondering like oh god is it going to go to zero or we're we gonna hit hit the uh jackpot and it it's just it's built on a foundation that's just not very stable and that's a bad bad hit.
1: And you made the comparison before we got started taping today to to, to DeGrom, and I think that's the perfect one. We all love it when he throws 99, but you wonder if it's sustainable, uh, you know, that max effort delivery, if a guy can hold together. Uh, And before you go, give me a quick thought on the Arizona Diamondbacks who continue to win.
3: Yeah, so we haven't seen the Diamondbacks on a Sunday night, but we have seen the Texas Rangers. And I think the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks are both going to be there all year long. I think they have some things in common. Uh, they're very athletic. They do have a guy like Evaldi's having a great year for Texas, but Zach Allen's the Cy Young guy right now, and, and that race is still wide open. They have youth, Corbin Carroll's running all over the place. And uh, well, I mentioned Texas, I think the other team you talk about with regards to the Diamondbacks are the Rays. They, they kind of they embrace the sort of athlete. Like, yes. get me athletes. Let's see if they can – they can play different positions and they can run around the bases and take advantage of, of these new rules. And if the ball's in the air, we're going to go get it. So there's a lot of things about the diamondbacks and and by the way, and not afraid, you know, with Farshow, who was a good player, Oh, we can move him and we can, we can maybe take a small step back, but get better. They're, they're willing to do that too. So uh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're going to be a, you know, they're going to be a problem. When we had, you know, and you arranged to have Peter Seidler with us last year, the comment that sticks with everybody is we got to slay the dragon. You know, we got to beat the Dodgers. The Diamondbacks are, are that way too. They, they've slowly been building. And now, are they going to be able to kind of, you know, fire breathe the dragons down? Or is it still a Game of Thrones and the Dodgers have more dragons than everybody else? And I, I kind of lean that way. But Arizona's a fun team, fun team to watch. They're like Tampa yeah. this year, they're fun. Yeah, and they do a lot of roster building the way Tampa
1: does, thinking of their their, you know, their major league team as being the four players. And they Mike Hazen uses a lot of imagination, you know, making that jazz chism for Jack yeah. Allen deal, which worked out well for them. So, uh, yeah. uh, terrific team. All right, Ravi, thanks for doing this. I
3: will see you this weekend. We'll see you Sunday night. One more time, starsforsarah.org. That's starsforsarah with an H.org. And thanks for all you do for Sarah. I know she appreciates it. You're You're the best.
1: The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball, Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. That's vividseats.com today, code baseball. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe And your people safer. Call, click granger.com, or just stop by. Todd Radem, the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all around America, all around the world, or you can go to his website. Got to follow your exchange last night with Taylor Schwenk, who has abandoned the podcast this week for an overseas trip. And what he tweeted out, I mean, leave it to Taylor. Taylor has no problem in letting everybody know about his progression of drinking whenever he goes on vacation. Uh, Last night, he tweeted out a picture of a massive beer mug. What was he said? Airplane beer. No, airport beer, right? And he talked about having two of them. It looked like it was a keg.
4: Buster, I mean, you saw what I tweeted back at him, which... Which said, basically, I sure hope you have an aisle seat because liquid. And so, you know, we all learn things the older we get. And I've learned that if I'm going to have a cocktail at the airport poster, it's going to be a mixed drink or a glass of wine or something less voluminous than the likes of which Taylor tweeted times two times two. Now, I'm just like I'm I'm, I'm imagining the size of this beer that he posted. Right and i'm holding my hands up left or top to bottom and i'm putting that next to my stomach okay <laughs> and i'm imagining getting on a plane and everybody's different i get on a plane i don't like to move buster i just had a 16 hour flight to korea a couple of weeks ago and it was very comfortable and all but i pre-gamed my eating and drinking strategy for days for days yes. before i took off
1: Yeah, that's exactly what you have to do. I've told you the story in Sunday Night Baseball, working those games, starting at two o'clock because I'm going to be sitting in one place for three to four hours. I don't move. I I don't drink anything like I I totally dry out. Taylor's going the other direction. Sarah, when you you saw that picture of that beer mug and you saw Taylor immediately letting everybody know, what was your what were your thoughts?
2: Oh, I was jealous. I mean, a vacation in Spain, (laughs) drinking beer like that's just the life.
4: I don't disagree with any of that, by the way. But
1: if no, you know. nobody enjoys their life more than Taylor does. That's uh, that's for sure. All right, Todd. Let's get to this week's forgotten field. All right, Buster.
4: Today we are going to take a look at the very first home of the World Champion Houston Astros. The club was known as the Houston Colt Forty Fives for their first three seasons, and their ballpark was a two million dollar, thirty three thousand seat temporary stadium. That was described as, quote, a cross between Disneyland and the Wild West. Colt Stadium, constructed in a mere five months, was meant to be a placeholder until the air-conditioned Astrodome opened. And once the team moved there in 1965, they changed their name to Astros. Colt Stadium was a Spartan affair, consisting of a one-level uncovered grandstand that stretched from foul pole to foul pole, with small bleachers in right and left fields. Again, it was uncovered. There was no roofline, no canopy, nothing that offered protection from the relentless Texas sun or rain. The makeshift structure was reportedly built on a marsh and the mosquitoes there were legendary. Rusty Staub, who broke in with the Colts during their second season, 1963, later told the New York Times, we kept mosquito repellent in the dugout and we'd spray ourselves before we went on the field. Ron Swoboda never played there, but he said that as a visiting rookie playing in the Astrodome in 1965, quote, they told us we were lucky. They said the mosquitoes in the old ballpark used to pick cats right off the ground and fly away with them. The oppressive heat and humidity caused the National League to lift its ban on Sunday night games starting in 1963, essentially the beginning of Sunday night baseball. During one doubleheader in June 1962, 78 fans and one umpire received medical attention Due to the extreme conditions, the same month Colt Stadium became the very first major league park to sell insect repellent at its concession stands. All that aside, the ballpark was colorful in many ways. The exterior of the stadium was painted aqua and white, and the colors of the seats corresponded to the colors of a fan's tickets. Chartreuse, turquoise, burnt orange, and pink. A team of 150 female ushers, dubbed the Triggerettes, Help patrons find their seats. They were outfitted in customized pinstripe baseball jerseys, pleated skirts, and orange patent leather shoes. Parking attendants wore orange 10 gallon hats. They drove cars in areas named for legendary figures of the Old West, such as Wyatt Earp Territory, the Fast Draw Club. A member's only restaurant and bar cost $150 a season. Servers there were garbed in saloon style attire. And because Texas law prohibited the sale of liquor by the glass, except in private clubs, members could buy what was described as a Texas-sized schooner of beer. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It only cost 50 cents, while (laughs) booze was $1 a shot. No tears were shed when the Colts played their final game there on September 27, 1964. 6,246 diehards watched Don Drysdale of the LA Dodgers pitched 10 innings of shutout baseball, but the Colts' Bob Bruce exceeded that, tossing a 12-inning complete game shutout as the home team won one to nothing. As for the ballpark, it fell into disrepair and became populated by rattlesnakes. In 1971, it was sold for $100,000 to a minor league team in Mexico, disassembled and combined with pieces of the ballpark that the Texas Rangers' Arlington Stadium had replaced And all of this was shipped south of the border, where it was given the nickname El Mecanico Spanish for erector set. This took four years. The reconstituted park was taken apart and moved again in 1982, this time to Tampico, Mexico. A section of the stadium now sits in a playground there. And the original in Houston is now a parking lot north of where NRG Stadium sits. From humble mosquito plague beginnings to champions of the world, Buster. We raise our cans of off and salute Colt Stadium, which is this week's forgotten field.
1: You know, Todd, in so many of the presentations that you do, there's a part of me that thinks, "Oh man, I wish I could have gone back to that place." Not this one. <laughs> this is the first one this year. Where I'm like, no, that sounds completely miserable. It sounds horrible. Sounds horrible.
4: I mean, no, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take back. I would love to have been there, but I would love to have been there for a game in April or September. Let's just put it that way. Check the box, go to another stadium. But can you imagine getting heat no. stroke, drinking gigantic 50 cent schooners of beer at the private club with Taylor?
1: Uh, well, it might. I, I mean, it, today, if that ballpark still existed, it would be called Schwenk Stadium. I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt about it, right? <laughs> what, what would the
4: naming rights cost? What would all that go for? I
1: know. Uh, oh. <laughs> It's awesome. All right, let's get to this week's quiz.
4: All right. Is Taylor going to be playing in absentia?
2: Um, Yeah, you know what? Let's opt him in for option C. Whatever option C is, is going to be his answer. (laughs) I love
4: it. Look at that. I love it. Love it. Well, that having been said, here's this week's question. Aaron Judge's $360 million contract is larger than which of the following? Is it A, Miguel Cabrera's total cumulative career earnings, Is it B, the cost to build Citizens Bank Park? Is it C, the Lerner family's purchase price of the Washington Nationals in 2006? Or is it D, Tom Brady's new 10-year contract to be an NFL analyst? 360 million for Aaron Judge. It is bigger than only one of these. Miguel Cabrera's total earnings over the course of his career, the cost to build Citizens Bank Park, the Lerner family's purchase price of the Nats in 2006, or Tom Brady's new 10-year contract to be an NFL
1: analyst? Sarah? What you got, Sarah?
2: I think it's D, because if I'm recalling correctly, Tom Brady's deal is $340 million, But I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. But still, I'm going to go
1: D. I love the question, because it feels like that are all close, Todd. And so it's somewhat of a guess for me. And I'm going to go with Miguel Cabrera.
4: Foster, you are correct. Miguel oh. Cabrera, $353 million in round numbers and round numbers between friends when we're talking about a few hundred million. Sarah, the reported price that I got at least for Tom Brady was $375
1: million.
2: Oh, yeah. whoa. Yeah. I don't know why. I, $340 stuck out of my brain, but I'm sure that's right.
1: Jeez. That's a nice hobby after you're done your playing career. <laughs> 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 wow. I mean, just think of how many
4: 50 cent schooners of beer Tom Brady can buy with all of that coin, aside from what he's already made.
1: Exactly. All right, Todd. Thanks for doing this. Evan Kaplan is the managing director of the Major League Baseball Players Association. And yesterday, Evan, Major League Baseball Players Association announced jointly that they have, uh, you have formed a new partnership to market players with MLB acquiring the group player rights. Can you describe what this is all about?
6: Yeah, this it's a strategic partnership that we struck with the league, uh, providing them the ability to include players in their uh, brand partnerships. The idea is to get players in the forefront in the marketing of the sport of baseball, uh, to build connections between players and fans, to build, help... Uh, fans, you know, get to know players both on the field, but go beyond it off the field and get more visibility for the players. We have such a great and tremendous group, uh, group of young star players. uh, And we just wanted them to be at the forefront of the sport. And we want brands to think when they think of baseball, starting with players. And uh, by allowing MLB to package both their, um, you know, assets and the players, it makes it more enticing for brands to uh, support baseball and to view baseball as a valuable asset.
1: Writers like myself, columnists like myself, have been clamoring for years and years and years, hoping for uh, you know something like this to evolve. If you can explain uh, how this you know potentially impacts uh, you know a player, uh, let's say a Mike Trout, for example, uh, how could this change things for him?
6: Um, you know, it should change things on multiple levels. This shouldn't be a game where the angels are traveling to town and fans aren't clamoring to go see Mike Trout, Shohei Atani. They you know there, there has to be more understanding of how tremendous these players are, not just these two, but the player, the the, play, the level of play today. Um so you want them to recognize these players, have visibility for the players when they turn on the TV. They'll see them on the field, but see them off the field, see them in campaigns with, brand, with brands and make the connections that they're supporting brands that the fa- fans, especially young fans, associate with. So, uh, yeah, there was it's, So it's about visibility, but it's more about that connection. Other sports, you know, you turn on the TV between you, know, you see the commercials on, uh, for other sports and they're the players. We want baseball to have that same visibility both at the national level and uh, locally.
1: How did this come to fruition? Because it seemed like it happened quietly. I guess, uh, you know, myself, you know, we love to talk about in the past, we talked about, you know, sometimes a difficult relationship between the two sides, and yet you get an agreement here, and we didn't really hear a lot of run-up to this.
6: Yeah, I I would say that this is something that, from the union standpoint, that we've been behind for a long time, that, like the writers, feel that players need to be promoted, uh, get more promotion by the league, and have had the support from top-down from our executive director, Tony Clark, to promote players, get you know, figure out ways to get them in front of fans, um, and through our relationship, and we do work really well with the league, uh, especially on the business side. Uh, we able to we had common goals. How do we make it easier for brands to get into baseball? How do we make it easier for them to work with players? And we cooperatively work together to make sure we're achieving those goals.
1: So I'm curious, from your perspective and what you do. Uh, you know, there's a lot of conversations about players being mic'd up, uh, you know, players being more visible. And I know talking privately with a lot of players, they love it. What's the perspective of the union?
6: It aligns with that same uh, thinking that certain players like to do it. Certain players don't. But uh, You find that right personality. It's such an engaging way for the flan- the fans to appreciate the game, understand what the players are thinking when they're on the field. Uh, to get there, to learn more about their personalities and what they talk about. So it's an exciting new component you know, component to the game. Uh, and as I said it's not for every player, but for the players who actively enjoy it, it's such great content and such a great way to engage uh, fans.
1: Can you relate some of the conversations you may have had with players uh, leading up to this agreement, and sort of the feedback that you got from them?
6: Yeah, obviously we get in front of the players pretty regularly, talking about business opportunities, and we're really looking at how we expand the scope of what how we represent players and promote them. Um, and this is something that's been in the works, as you said, for a while. And the players generally support it. You know, we still protect we still protect the players' interests at all levels but we, you know, they want to have that visibility for it. We talk about ways that players create opportunities for themselves and then, you know, through the uh, players association. So the, the support from the player side has been tremendous. They they recognize the opportunity to get in front of fans and imbra- and really embraced
1: it. All right, Evan. Well, I appreciate your time on this and, and, and you know, and giving us some background on, uh, on what we're going to see going forward.
6: Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity to get to speak to you and, um, you know, make sure that um, both fans and brands understand uh, the opportunity at hand here and, uh, you know, hopefully have a little fun with it.
1: Bleacher Tweets.
2: All right, Buster, it is time for Bleacher Tweets. Our first one comes from Mike Mosk. I can't believe Buster didn't ask TK about Mount Rushmore of Third Baseman. Very unBuster like to miss that cue. Schmidt, Matthews, Robinson, and Chipper are mine. Curious, Buster, who you got?
1: Yeah, Mike, to be honest with you, as I was listening to Tim, like that popped up in my head. I wanted to ask him, but he had so many great elements to that story. And we were focused on Kevin Pilar calling him TK. I think your list is good. <laughs>
2: Next up, we have Drew Poe. I've rediscovered my love for baseball as an adult that I had growing up. Just listened to Master Storytellers pod and wanted to know what players I need to learn more about. Satchel Paige, Yogi Berra, heck, even TK.
1: Okay. Uh, So for me, I'm biased because it covered him. Tony Gwynn to me is, I, I just love all the stories about Tony uh Hank Aaron is another guy if you can get any stories about Hank Aaron that's awesome but I'm assuming Drew that you might be talking about present day stories I'm gonna go with Mike Trout you know we did an e 60 on him uh in uh, recent years say like three years ago and it was awesome to see his relationship with his parents and and how their support has been difference making for him that would be a fun person to dig into
2: up next, we have P.K. Steinberg. Are the Phillies co-serving Paul Henbo's fraternity leave?
1: See, here's the thing. Uh, and look, you're a lifetime Phillies fan, Sarah. So I'm going to defer to you mm-hmm. on this one because I made it clear. If I mention the Phillies, they're going to start losing. So what do you, what's your take on this?
2: Um, as a lifelong Phillies fan, as of almost a year, I can say we need Henbo back. Because I feel like that might be that might be the thing. That might be the sauce that we need, you know? So um, Hembo, if you're listening to this, come back. We need you.
1: Hurry back.
2: Hurry back. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: Next up is Don Irving. If baseball can have a luxury tax for payrolls over a certain amount, shouldn't there be a tanking tax for teams who refuse to spend money to put a major league team on the field?
1: Look, there are some elements of, you uh, know, within Major League Baseball that require, require a team. If they don't spend the money that's given to them, then there's some sort of a backlash. But it's too deep to get into. Generally speaking, Don, I I agree with you. I think they should hammer teams that don't spend. I, I think if the other team, the other teams need to step up and start penalizing these teams that have no interest in competing, and they need to start putting in restrictions, saying, look. If you don't spend a certain percentage uh, of money, uh, if you don't have a certain uh, payroll, then at some point we're going to force you to put your team up for sale. It's a joke.
2: And last up, we have Corey Ruker. If IBB were frowned upon in 2001 as they are today, how many homers would bonds have hit?
1: Oh, my God. You know, we talked about this on our uh, on our Zoom prep call for Sunday Night Baseball this week about how You know, people keep pitching to Aaron Judge because they feel like analytically it's a dumber decision over the course of 162 games to issue intentional walks. It leads to more runs. And Barry Bonson been pitched to, oh my God, I mean, he might have hit like 85 or 90 home runs. Just crazy how great he was.
2: Next up is Andrew DeSalvo. Over or under 3.5 of the six divisions will be won by a team currently leading them as of today.
1: I'm gonna go under because I think the Amer- the central divisions are in play.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think I think there's gonna be some twists and turns this season, so I'm gonna take the under on that. And our last one of the day comes from Zach Beeson. The NL Central looks wide open for Eli De La Cruz and the Reds.
1: Eli De La Cruz in the Reds. Zach is assuming at some point the Reds are gonna call him up the big leagues. Incredibly talented. I would say this, Zach. There's a lot of swing and miss in his game. Uh, he's very aggressive at the plate. And guys who are like that, takes him a little bit longer, uh, I think, to, to get settled in big leagues. We'll see.
2: That concludes this segment of Bleacher Tweets. Be sure to submit your questions using hashtag Bleacher Tweets every week. And we will be back on Monday for more.
1: Yeah, we got a... a uh... A baggage claim Monday coming up from the Salt Lake City Airport following our Sunday night game between the Yankees and the Dodgers. That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Carl, Sarah, Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.